Excuse me. First Peter chapter three. <clears throat> Verse thirteen. It's kind of a rhetorical question. And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? Doesn't that sound like an obvious? Verse 14. But, and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil. I title this simply, Be Ready Always. Be Ready Always. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your word tonight. We thank you, Father, that we, in the Word of God we have everything that pertains unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who hath called us to glory and virtue, that is our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father, we, we pray as we look in your Word tonight that you would help us, instruct us, and I pray that you would be glorified and help us to be better ready to serve you in this turbulent and wicked world in which we live. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're in the military and you're in a combat zone, you need to be always ready and prepared for an attack from the enemy. You know, many times there's no notice or no warning given. It's just on. That's called warfare. We're in a war. We're in a war for the souls of mankind, and we have a very active and powerful enemy. In chapter 5, verse 8, Peter tells us, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, it's your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Now, the roar of a lion could scare you to death but it won't hurt you. But it can really scare you real bad. And the devil is like a roaring lion. You know, we, we have this enemy. I want to look at a few verses here so we think about our enemy in John 8 and verse 44. <clears throat> Jesus speaking about the devil said, and of course he was addressing this to the Pharisees, you are of your father the devil, the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. And abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So he's a murderer. He's a liar. Second Corinthians 4, 3 and 4 says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them, lest they believe the light of the gospel. Uh, Ephesians 6, Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 12. 
says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. In other words, the deceitfulness and the tricks and the traps of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And then Revelation 12, 9 and 10. Revelation 12, 9 and 10. Speaking about the devil, says, And that great dragon, it calls him a dragon here, was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him, and heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. You know, the kingdom is the king about is about to come into his kingdom and to set up his kingdom and actually rule as a king. That's what we see here. And, and he says, For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. So the devil is a powerful foe. He's a roaring, like a roaring lion. He's a murderer. He's a liar. He's blinded the, the, the minds of the people of this world. He's deceived them in the wicked thinking. Uh, uh, and, 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 and he's got a lot of tricks and wiles. And, and he's, he's, uh, he's our accuser. He accuses us day and night. We have examples of activity in the Bible. Well, look at Job chapter 1. And we find them accusing someone before the Lord. Job chapter 1. Verse uh, 6 says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. The Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it, the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? There is none like him in the earth, a perfectly and upright man, one that feareth God and eschewth evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in land. But pour forth now thine hand and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. See, he's accusing Job of only serving God because God blessed him. That's the only reason. You know, that's the only reason. The only reason you people serve God is because you live in America where you're free to do so. I mean, if you lived over in Afghanistan, I bet you wouldn't serve God. Same thing. Same idea. So he took all they had, and he still served God. But it doesn't end. Chapter 2. Verse 1, And again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? There is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. And still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, the all the man hath, he will give for his life. Pull forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So went Satan from the Lord in the presence of the, 
from the presence of the Lord, and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And he took a potsherd and scraped himself with all, and he sat down among the ashes. Then said Job unto his wife, Dost thou still retain thy integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? Shall we not receive evil? And all this did not Job sin with his lips. Now when his three, Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon him, they came every one from his own place, Eliphaz, Temanite, Bildad, and the Shuite, and Zophar, the Namathite. And I'm not going to read any more about them guys. But, but you know, uh, God allows Satan to afflict Job because Satan accused Job. And Job retained his integrity, but you know what? Satan got to Job's wife. He got to Job's wife. And he also got to Job's friends. They accused Job of being a wicked sinner, a hypocrite. You see, and they all, really they set against him. Uh, look at another example of Satan's activities in the scriptures. Go to Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10, verse 2, says, In those days I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all, till three whole weeks were fulfilled. So Daniel's praying and fasting and in mourning, seeking understanding for a vision that he had seen. So he's done that, for doing, done that now for three whole weeks. Drop down to verse 11. And so this, this, the, the angel of the Lord appears to him. I think it's actually Gabriel. or um, I think he's named here somewhere. Maybe not in this chapter, but one place I know Gabriel appeared to him. But anyway, uh, whoever it is, appears to him and he says unto him in verse 11, he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the, the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright. For unto thee I am now sent. And when he stood, had, had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand, and had chastened thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me. Uh, one and twenty days, that's three weeks. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. And then if you drop down to verse 20 again, Then said he, Knowest thou uh, wherefore I come unto thee? And now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia, and when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come. So, you know, when Ephesians 6 talks about spiritual wickedness in high places, there's spiritual wickedness in high places. There are demonic forces at work in our world, in high places, warring with the angels of the Lord. So, when you come to verse 13 of 1 Peter chapter 3, and Peter says, 
who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that is good? I mean, who would harm you? I'll tell you who. The devil and his followers. The devil and his followers. Who would seek to harm you? The devil. Who does he use? He uses people. You see, we're in a we're in a spiritual war. We're in a spiritual war. However, as we as we think about that, we're being we're, that we are in a spiritual war, and it's a war for the souls of men. And 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 the devil desires to destroy you and I. He doesn't want us out knocking on the doors on doors Wednesday night. He does not want you trying to witness to your friends or your co-workers. He doesn't want you doing that. And he'll do everything that he can to hinder it. And he'll do everything he can to keep you from obeying the Lord, to live it, for living a godly life. And he is a very powerful foe, but however, we should not live in fear or paranoia. Notice verse 14. But, and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. Yes, there are those that would seek to harm you, but we should not live in fear or paranoia of them. In John 16, you know, Jesus told his disciples before he was crucified, of these things. In John 16, in verses 1 through 4, he says, These things ye have spoken, have I spoken unto you, that ye should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogue, Jay the time cometh, that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. And these things will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, ye may remember that I have told you them. And these things I said unto you at said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. And he's, you know, and he's telling them, I'm not going to be with you when these things happen. However, verse 33, he tells them this, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And in 1 John chapter 4, and verse 4, the Bible says, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So we're not to live in fear, but in faith in God. We're living by faith in God. Jamie Foster Brown, uh, speaking about this, this verse, verse 14 says, do not, quote, do not impair your blessing by fearing man's terror in your times of adversity. Literally, be not terrified with their terror. That is, with that which they strike to, uh, to you, strike, try to strike into you, and which strikes themselves when in adversity. God alone is to be feared. He that fears God has none else to fear. Unquote. So, so we're to fear God. We're to have faith in God and not fear what man should do unto me. Um, you know, one of the things that, you know, it, it, it's interesting. You know a, a bully 
You know what a bully really is? He's a coward. He's a coward. Why is it that Joseph Stalin had seven different bedrooms? Why is it that Saddam Hussein, I think, had 28 different bunkers? Because he was scared. He, was, he lived, those men live in constant fear. You know, usually the bully in school, the big guy in school, if somebody just punched him in the nose, he's not a bully anymore. It, all it takes is somebody to stand up to him. And it doesn't have to be somebody as big as him. I've seen it happen. Not that I did it, but I've seen it done. Not that I wouldn't have liked to sometimes. But uh, so, so we should not live in fear. God doesn't want us to live in fear. Fear will handicap us. It will keep us from serving the Lord. No, we live, need to live in faith in God. God is, God is greater than the devil is. Our God is greater. So, so we should not live in fear or paranoia. Secondly, we should exercise wisdom in our safety. Now, these are, some, some, I think, some practical things. First of all, be very careful of the company you keep. Go to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. If they say, come with us, let, let us. Isn't it interesting they say, let us? Let us lay wait for blood. Let us lurk privately for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow the up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down in the pit. It's always a cry that they're doing evil, you know. We shall all find all precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast into thy lot among us. Let us all have one purse. My son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path. For their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. And they wait for their own blood. They lurk privately for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone that is greedy of gain, which taketh away the life of the owners thereof. Uh, in chapter 13, verses 20 and 21, chapter 13, verse 20 and 21 of Proverbs, the Bible says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. And verse 21 says this, Evil pursueth sinners. But to the righteous, good shall be repaid. Evil pursueth sinners. That word pursueth means like a hound dog on a trail. It's like a hound dog on a trail. That's, that's Evil will pursue sinners. And we ought not keep company with sinners. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. There's an old saying. You get like those you hang around with. So be careful of the company you keep. Secondly, avoid or flee, flee places of potential danger. Look at Proverbs again, verse chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 10. <clears throat> Hear, O my son, 
Anyways, give me your ears, son. Receive my sayings, and years of life shall be many. I have taught thee in the way of wisdom. I have led thee in right paths. When thou goest, thy steps shall not be straightened, and when thou runnest, thou shalt not stumble. Take hold of, fast hold of instruction. Let her not go. Keep her, for she is thy life. Enter not into the paths of the wicked. Go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Pass not by it. Turn from it and pass away. For they sleep not except they have done mischief, and their sleep is taken away unless they have caused some to fall. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. So don't go in the way of sinners. Stay away from it. Stay away from places of potential danger. Chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. I beheld among the simple ones, I discerned among the youths, a young man, void of understanding, passing through the street near her corner. He went away to her house. Notice, in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. You in it? You know, It kind of goes against my pride a little bit to think about running away from trouble. But there's a time to run away from it. There's a time when it's wise to run away from it. Go to Acts chapter 12. We have some examples of this in the Bible. Acts chapter 12. <clears throat> Acts chapter 12. Verse 12. You know, the account here is Herod has just cut off James's head. He's arrested Peter, put him in prison. He's planning to, I don't, do know what I don't know with Peter. He's probably planning to kill him. But he wants to make a spectacle of him, I suppose. Well, the angel Lord has, the Lord has different ideas, and he, and he, he rescues Peter from prison uh, through the prayers of the saints of God. And in verse 12 it says, And when he had considered the thing, that is Peter, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together knocking, praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, the damsel came to hearken, named Rhoda, when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, Thou art mad. But he, she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But he beckoning unto them with the hand to hold their peace. Don't quiet down. Declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and he said, Go show these things unto James and to the brethren. And then it says, and he departed and went into another place. What did he do? He fled. He fled the scene. He got away from there. And, and you know, Paul did, did similar things. Uh, Acts chapter 14, verses 5 and 6. It says, and when there was an assault made, both of the Gentiles and also the Jews with their rulers, to use them despitefully and dispone them, they were aware of it. And fled unto Lister and Derby, cities of Lyconia, unto the region that lieth round about. Uh, chapter 17 again, verses 10 through 14. <clears throat> and the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming hither went into the synagogue of the Jews. Uh, and then these were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the scriptures daily whether these things were so. Therefore many of them believed, also the honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men not a few. When the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. 
And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go as it were to the sea, but Silas and Timotheus abode there still. And now when you come to when it comes to Corinth, I believe Paul's fearful again, and I think he may have been thinking about taking off. However, in Corinth, Paul tell or the Lord appears to him, and it spake unto him in the night vision. And he says, Be not afraid to speak, hold not thy peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. For I have much people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. So when they were in danger and knew it, they fled. They got away. We're to avoid. We ought to do all we can to avoid places of potential danger. You know, when these mass shootings happen, like in Orlando, I told the kids, look at the time of night, the time of day, and look where it is. There are places of ill repute, and it's in the middle of the night. And that's my third point. Don't be out late at night if all possible. Most of the crime happens in the night. I realize there are some things that goes on in the day, but most of the crime happens in the night, and the Bible bears that out. Uh, we saw that in Proverbs 7, 7 and 8, where the simple one was going to the harlot's house in the night. Job twenty four fourteen says, The murderer rising with the light killeth the poor and needy, and in the night is as a thief. First Thessalonians 5, 2, For you know yourselves, yourselves know perfectly the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief, when? In the night. Uh, the day of the Lord, Second uh, Peter 3.10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And Jesus himself, in John chapter 11, verses 7 through 10, when he was going back to Jerusalem or going to, to raise Lazarus from the dead, the disciples were concerned because he'd just been threatened at Jerusalem and, and it says, after uh, John 11, verse 7, Then after that saith he to his disciples, Let us go again into Judea. His disciples said to him, Master, the Jews sought of, of late sought to stone thee, and thou go, goest thou hither again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in a day? If a man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of the world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light of him. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Now I know there's a, I believe there's a spiritual application here too, not just a physical one, that he is the light of the world. And if we follow him, we'll not walk in darkness. But, you know, nothing, I always said, nothing goes on after 11 o'clock at night. Nothing good. Don't be out. Unless it's something work-related, you have to be. Then use wisdom and be careful. And fourthly, fourthly, be prepared to defend yourself. Luke 22. Luke 22. <clears throat> Verse 35. And he said on them, When I sent you without purse and script and shoes, lacked you anything? And they said, Nothing. Now, you remember when he sent them out two and two, and they talked about how 
devils were subject to them and, and all these things, and they had power to work miracles, and he said, I beheld Satan. In other words, he held back the powers of hell while they were doing that. But that is not now. That is not now. Because notice what he says. Then said he unto them, but now, but now. That phrase is very important. But now, he that hath a purse, let him take it. And likewise a script. So they didn't take a purse before. That speaks of taking money. To provide for yourself. And then he said, um, likewise a script. And he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment. Garments are pretty important. But he said, you would better off without a garment than without a sword. Sell your garment and buy one. For I say unto you that this is written must yet be accomplished in me. And he was reckoned among the transgressors for the thing concerning me have an end. Now, one commentator said this, quote, Whatever your interpretation of this passage, there are a few broad stroke observations we can make. Jesus expected them to have swords and anticipated a time when those without swords would need to acquire them. And among the eleven disciples, they had two swords. Uh, Jesus expected them to carry the swords on their person as they traveled, traveled from the city to the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, why exactly, he doesn't say. But I think it's rather obvious. For protection. To protect himself. God expects us, I believe, to defend ourselves when necessary. And, of course, we need to use, you know, the last thing, or the last thing that we should ever want to do is use lethal force, is to kill somebody. It's a life that God's created. But God does expect us to defend ourselves. You know, whether you carry a gun, a knife, if you don't like carrying those things, ladies, I would suggest mace, pepper spray. And I just saw something recently online. In fact, I've ordered some. It's called Siren Song. You look it up. It's a keychain. You, you, you remember those uh, little change purses that you kind of folded? They were plastic and you fold it open and, you know, about that big around, they were kind of egg-shaped almost. That's sort of the shape of it, and it works like a hand grenade. You pull the pin out, and, and it puts off a siren 120 decibels. That's almost break your eardrums. And, you know, the ad I saw, the reason I saw it, it came up on, a, on an email that I got, that police recommend these to young people, young ladies and, and ladies in particular. Because, you know, you pull that thing out. Somebody's trying to do something to you, and you pull that thing out. And you're going to draw everybody's attention if there's anybody around. And you're going to, you know, a siren going off is going to scare a thief. That's great potential for scaring him off. Uh, I think it could be, could be a very effective tool. You know, we need to be prepared to defend ourselves uh, if necessary. Um, and then, 
Okay. So that's exercise wisdom in safety. Then thirdly, keep the Lord the focus of your heart and let him lead you. Notice verse 15. Verse 15. Of 1 Peter chapter 3. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you the reason, a reason of the hope is in you with meekness and fear. Uh, we're to sanctify the Lord in your hearts. Uh, Campbell Morgan said, quote, The simple meaning of the injunction is that at the very center of life there is to be one Lord, and that is Christ. Other lords are permitted to evade the sanctuary of the heart and to exercise dominion over us. Our selfish desires, our opinions of others, worldly wisdom, the pressure of circumstances, these and many other lords command us, and we turn away our simple and complete allegiance to our one Lord. Unquote. So we need to keep the Lord the focus of our heart. Now I want you to think about this. Many of the things I just spoke to you about, using wisdom concerning safety, is simply obeying the Lord. Not keeping bad company. Avoiding places of potential danger. You know, staying away from these kind of places. Uh, a lot of these things are just simple uh, things that God gives us in His Word. You know, obeying the Lord and obeying parents, young people, is safe. It's safe. So if we would keep our eyes on the Lord, our focus on the Lord, and let Him lead us, why would I want to go? Why would I want to keep company with somebody that's evil? Why would I want to go to these places of, of danger? Why would I want to go there in the dark, especially? I'll be around it. Uh, so we need to keep our, our focus on the Lord. You know, Proverbs 21, 31 says this, The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. Lot put his family in grave danger because of his covetousness. Abraham kept his family safe because he walked with the Lord. He had no idea. Abraham had no idea when the choices were made that sometime later there was going to be the kings of there was, going to be, there was a battle, four kings against five, and those kings took captive Sodom, the king of Sodom, and Lot and all his whole family and, and off with them. But Abraham escaped it all. You see, him following the Lord kept him safe. And Lot Psalm 119, verse 117, Hold thou me up, I shall be safe. And I will have respect unto thy statutes continually. Proverbs 18.10, The name of the Lord is a strong tower, the righteous runneth into it, and is safe. Proverbs 29.25, The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. So we need to keep our focus of our heart on the Lord and let him lead us 
being aware. Does he want us to go to these places? Does he want us to do this? He'll lead us in safety. We often say where the Lord guides, he what? He provides. But where the Lord also, where the Lord guides, he also protects. He told Moses, I will be with thee. He told Paul when he went to Corinth, no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. I have much people in this city. Now there were other places he could get into where he had to leave. So we need to keep our focus on the Lord and let him lead us. Uh, and again, that goes back to simply obeying the word of God. And, and that's a lot of what I just explained in, and, um, with, from Proverbs there. And then the fourthly, we need to, of course, be ready to defend your faith. Verse 15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you the reason of the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. Uh, you know, we need to be ready at any time to answer, to give an answer. The word answer is apologia, where we get the word apologetics. Uh, so, to give a defense of why we live and believe what we believe. One commentator said this, we can be ready to give the defense if we have made ourselves ready in knowing the Bible. People, Peter knew how important it was to give a defense to everyone who asks. Uh, he did this in situations described in Acts 2, Acts 3, Acts 4, in Acts five, you know, he was. They were him. Peter and John were arrested, and you know, when on the day of Pentecost, and the people said, you know, what are these guys drunk already? This noon hour, and Peter stands up and says, uh, no, they're not drunk. And he gave an answer as to what was happening and why it was happening. James Fawcett Brown said this. It's given a reason, a reasonable account. The verse does not impose an obligation to bring forward a learned proof and logical defense of revelation. But as believers deny themselves, crucify the world, and, and brave the persecution, they must be buoyed up by some strong hope. Men of the world, having no such hope themselves, are moved by curiosity to ask the secret of this hope. The believer must be ready to give an experimental account how this hope rose in him, what it contains, and what it rests on. You know, we often say to people when we're at visitation, you know, we ask them, well, um, do you believe that you're going to heaven when you die? And depending on their, they say, they'll, they'll, many times they'll give you a reason, or some will say no, some will say yes. And then we say, what's the basis for that? In other words, why do you believe that? What is your basis? That's asking them to give an answer or the reason. And of course, Peter tells us here we're to give that answer with meekness and fear. Not, not self-sufficient. It's not in us. Uh, not arrogantly, but with meekness and fear. 
due respect towards man and a reverence towards God. Um, one commentator said this, remembering his cause does not need a man's hot temper to uphold it. So we need to be ready to defend or give an answer as to why we believe what we believe. You know, it's, it's, it's sad some of the answers you get on the street as to why people believe what they believe. Many of them just don't know. Um, and then, fifthly, we need to keep a clear conscience. Notice in verse 16 it says, Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as if evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. Now, Keeping a clear conscience is only possible by doing what is right before God. And I think, really, this goes back to verse 9, where it says, Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. You know, it's, it's not reacting to what they do. But responding in love for God and for their souls. You know, Paul said, Paul said this, I have always and I can't remember exactly the wording. He's standing before the, the, the Sanhedrin giving his, his defense. And he says, I've always kept a conscience void of offense before God. And that's when the high priest said, slap him. And what he's saying is, I've always tried to do that which is right. Since I got saved, I've always tried to do that, that which is right before God. And before my fellow men. I've not offended anyone. I've wronged no man. Therefore, I have a conscience void of offense. Samuel, when they asked of a king, Samuel said, Have I taken any man's ox or any man's sheep? In other words, he's saying, I haven't offended. I haven't wronged anyone. I have a conscience void of offense. You see, and again, if we have that conscience void of offense, it will give us courage to stand and give an answer and not be afraid. Oh, we need to be always ready. We need to be always ready. You know, we do have an enemy. We have an enemy that hates us. He's a murderer. We don't need to live in fear or paranoia, but we do need to exercise wisdom and be willing, be prepared to defend or to respond to those who would harm us in a way that pleases the Lord. So might God help us to be ready always uh, and to glorify Him in any situation we may face. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time of your word tonight. Thank you for the instruction it gives us. Lord, we thank you that we have a God who has all power, one in whom we can trust and depend and rest upon. Father, help us just to have faith in him and not to fear the things we see going on in our world tonight. But help us just to rest in your promises, knowing that you will keep your promises to us. So, Lord, just help us to be faithful, give us wisdom, help us to do right, that we might have a conscience void of offense. We pray in Jesus' name.